listening to In Search of Her. I'm Emily Walsh. Here I have honest conversations on grief and loss. I share stories, tips, and lessons on how we can use holistic healing to be comforted and discover our pure and authentic self. If you ever feel lost in this constant and fast-paced world but know you are meant to be and do more, then you're in the right place. So get comfy and let's dive on in. You're listening to In Search of Her. I am so happy to be recording this episode with you because right now it is 2 a.m. in Taiwan and I have a special guest on the show and she is coming all the way from Texas. And I just think this is just so magical that we are completely opposite sides of the world and we are able to do this. And so I want to bring on my very first guest, on this show and her name is Regina Bergman and she is just one of those people that is just a jack of all trades. She's a CEO, she's a business owner, she's an author and she's coming out with her book and she's just, you know, this incredible and well-rounded woman and I'm just so happy and blessed that she is on this show and she has just this incredible message that I just want to share with you and that you could take a little nugget or a piece for you and what I love about Regina is she is coming out with a book soon, and we'll dive into that into the show. And she's self-publishing her book. And so I'm so excited to share with you her message and her story and her mission behind her book and what she's all about and her journey from being a business owner to now selling a book on grief and loss. And it's just incredible. So without further ado, here is the one and only Regina Bergman. <laughs> Thank you so much. What a wonderful introduction. I am so honored to be your first guest. That is just awesome. I love it. <laughs> yes, yes. I am so happy that you're here, Regina. And it's just so great that we were able to connect because we ended up connecting with um, a, a friend, Paul, who I ended up meeting through a mastermind I was in like over a year ago. So it's just funny that we connected through him. So it's just so great. So before we get started on this whole thing, I just want to ask you a couple fire away questions. So okay. what that is, is just random questions. It's just very light and fun. You don't have to just whatever first comes to your mind. Okay. So just to kind of warm us <laughs> up and stuff. So here we go. So the first question is, if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go and why? Okay. So at the moment, that one is a really easy one for me to answer. I have three different people in Africa that I am working with right now. Well, actually four, because there's one lady I work with in uh, Australia who's going to Africa for a while. Her roots are actually Africa. And so they, I have been invited by all of them to come to Africa and see them. So there's one in Uganda and there's one in Kenya and, you know, and I can't remember what the third one is. Um, and, and I don't know where um, Hannah is going in, in Africa, but I would go to Africa and see because I'm working with some amazing clients over there who are making a difference in the world and working with children, especially. And, and you'll appreciate this. They are working with, to educate children as well as to provide things for them that might be really difficult in their country and helping to give them the tools to move out of poverty. 
And I just, I'm so inspired by what they do. And I would love to go see them. Yesterday, actually wrote my um, vision board, which is in front of me here. Travel to Africa. <laughs> so <laughs> that's where I want to go at the moment. Uh, within the next year or two, I would like to go to Africa and meet all of them and the children that they work with and and just uh, have some time to spend with them one-on-one as, as they are ma- doing such amazing things to change the world. Wow. That is just an incredible answer because that's just something that, you know, I don't want to say not many people would say, but... yeah. Such purpose and meaning behind why you want to go there and just to help people to not only just travel and to just, you know, taste food and stuff, which is great, too, because, you know, I am a world traveler, but I I love the answer. Okay, so the next question is, what is one of your favorite books? Oh, goodness. Um, Oh, and I'm trying to think of the name of this book. I read this book years ago when I was a child. Oh my goodness, it's a sci-fi book and I can't think of the name of it. But I also have lots of favorite business books. Um, but honestly, this is going to sound really crazy and I, and I don't mean it this way, but one of the books that I use the most in my life is actually my own book that I wrote on marriage. And when my husband and I, I'm, I'm widowed and then I'm remarried. And when I met my second husband, I gave him a copy of that book, which I had published earlier that year. And I said, now, if you want to know more about me, I'm in this book. And so we had a very short courtship (laughs) and he hadn't read the book yet. And we actually traveled for four hours to get to our wedding because we wanted to go to the town where my daughter was because she and her family couldn't make it to any place else. And so it was like, okay, we'll come in, we'll come there and get married. So you can all be there. And he hadn't read the book yet. And I said, you know what? I have to live by the principles in this book. I wrote the book. I have to live by the principles. And I have to know that you're willing to live by those principles as well. And so I read him the book on the way. We had a four-hour drive. And I read him the book on the way to the wedding. (laughs) And he committed to it. So that book is called Bulletproof Your Marriage. And it truly is one of the, the greatest tools that I use. Um, as I, you know, as, as I go through my marriage and it has made such a difference, I think, in our ability to have a successful marriage at this stage of our life and to, you know, to marry someone who has a whole world of experience behind them. And we're both in our sixties and set in our ways and, you know, all of that. And to mesh that into a successful relationship, I use that book every day. (laughs) So I didn't really mean to to toot my own horn there. But it truly is the book that has the most value to me because my marriage and my family are sacred to me. And so if this tool helps me have a better marriage. Yes, yes, I love it. Yes, thank you so much for that. (laughs) And the next question is, what is your favorite time of day? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, My favorite time of day. It's... Hmm. It's either early morning or late evening because I get up first in the mornings. Usually I'm the first one up and I get up about five o'clock every morning and uh, hopefully read scriptures, do some meditation, do, you know, some things of just getting in tune for the day. And so that that quiet time that I have by myself is really I really appreciate it. It's really valuable to me. 
But then I also appreciate the evenings because that's when I get to go spend some time with my husband. So I work in my office all day. My office is here in the home, but I work in my office all day and I take breaks and go find him because he's retired. And so I'll go find him and I'll spend a couple minutes with him and then it's back to work. Right? <laughs> I take my breaks. I go see him or I go take a walk and then I'm back to work. And so I like that time of day. You know, we reserve Friday nights to make sure that we have time with each other. We have our date night every Friday night. We don't go out. We have date night here in the house, but we still have that time that we reserve for each other. And so I think those are my two early morning or in the evening when I'm done working and I get to spend time with my husband. Yeah, that's awesome. Because honestly, I think that's my favorite time of day because as soon as you wake up, you just get this sense of gratitude that you just have another day. And then at the end yes. of the day, you're like, wow, this and then you then reflect back on your day and what you could do better tomorrow and whatnot. So that's awesome. That is a great thing to do, both of those. And gratitude, I think, is so overlooked. Uh, yes, so yes. Really, I, I like that you said that. Yes, it definitely is. All right. And so one more. If you could okay. eat one thing for the rest of your life, whether it's a oh, meal or cuisine, what would it be? Oh, my. One thing. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Hmm. I don't know. That's a tough one. <laughs> because when I think about eating one thing for the rest of my life, I, I think, oh, I'm going to get bored with that. So it's really hard for me to think of one thing that would, you know, I love chocolate. So, you know, if I can eat chocolate the rest of my life, that, that might do it because I do love chocolate. <laughs> Yes, that's awesome. I'm definitely a chocolate person as well. For me, uh, my favorite food of all time is Indian food. I can literally eat an entire plate of it and yeah. eat the same meal over again and yeah, again. Over and over. It doesn't matter. It's Indian food. <laughs> yes, awesome. All right. Well, now that we're a lot more comfortable and stuff, I'll edit that out. <laughs> okay, let's dive into the show. So talk okay. to talk to the audience about your journey because you have a business and how long have you had this business for? This particular business I've had since um, January of 2015. Um, so my husband passed in 2014 in August and I had uh, I had always been that person that people come to for help, you know, for information, for help, for guidance and all of that. And I'd always, I've always had as a guiding principle that desire to help people uh, attain their full potential. And so that I, just before my husband passed, I had something come across my desk for some training in life coaching and business coaching. And I thought, well, the timing is not right. It's just, you know, I'm not, I can't go there. And after he passed, it came back across my desk and I thought, maybe this is the time to do that. So I did take some training. Uh, I am an, a serial entrepreneur. This is not my first business. I've had many. <laughs> but um, but I, I did, I took the training and I said, like, yeah, this is, this is what I want to do. And originally I was going to be a life coach um, and then, I quickly discovered that there was a real need for coaching in the business world as well. And when you're coaching in the business world, you get to do some life coaching along with, along with it. Because as you're helping someone grow their business, you have to get to the personal level of things as well. And so I get to do both in one package. 
Yes, that's very incredible because I wanted to ask you that because I wasn't sure if you had this business before your husband passed away and then or after. And so I think what kind of happens when someone passes away is like, I'm not sure if it's a light switch or something, but something goes off and it makes us want to do something and we don't know what it is. And it makes us want to either serve people or live our life and think, you know what? this is my purpose and this is what I need to do. So thank you so much for sharing that because I think we can all relate to that in some way where unfortunately when something bad happens, we then like learn something from it. So also let's get into the question on you have this business and now you're writing this book. So let's talk about that journey and how did you start writing this book <laughs> and what did it look like when you had this idea of to start this book now before we get into it your title is how to mourn with those who mourn and how to understand and prepare for grief so let's talk a little bit about that title before we get into that so why the title okay so the whole book title subtitle the whole thing was given to me by the lord and so I hope your audience is spiritual because I'm going to dive into that a little bit. And I can remember exactly where I was sitting in my home, sitting in a chair, when I was just flooded with this knowledge that I was to write this book. And here's the title. And here's the subtitle. And here's why it's this. And here's how you're going to go about it. And I mean, it was just, it, it wasn't anything I was thinking about or planning to do. Just the Lord said, there's a need for this and I want you to fill it. <laughs> that is so incredible because I think um, sometimes we get caught up in our own ego and analysis process on how to do it. But it's not just so how to do it. It's more of like just taking action and just listening to that inner dialogue and just right. going with it. Um, because I think what happens is we're just so caught up in just all these minor details, but really the most important thing is the why behind it. And it doesn't matter how it came to you, but it came to you right. and now we're here right. and we're sitting right. here recording this episode. So, so let's talk about the book in general. So we have this title on how to mourn with those who mourn and how to understand and prepare for grief. So, you mentioned earlier that your husband had passed away. Now let's let's just talk about what was that like when you lost a partner? Like because there may be people that not understand that and or may have not have gone through that. Like what is it like to lose a partner? Like that must have been like I couldn't even imagine. It is devastating. It is absolutely devastating. Um forgive me. <laughs> We had been married one week shy of 44 years when he passed away. We had a great marriage. It wasn't perfect. It had its ups and downs like every marriage. We were, you know, two imperfect people trying to create a, a good marriage. And um, I was, um, I remember my sister and her husband came and stayed with me for the first month. 
and I just, you know, I was in my bedroom a lot. I was just kind of closed myself off for a little bit, let them handle anything. I, at the time, had a bed and breakfast, and I, I had to stop taking guests for a while. It was several months before I felt comfortable enough, again, to invite someone in to as a guest and, and take care of them. And so, you know, it was really, really hard. Um, what made it easier, what made helped me get through it and transformed is that I was challenged to, to participate in a project at church. And the project was a 30-day gratitude journal. And I thought, oh, I just don't even want to do this. But if the Lord's asking me to do it, I better do it. And so I um, accepted the challenge. And I went home and I, and I set up my journal. And I thought, okay, I'm going to write 10 things a day that I'm grateful for that happened today, right? Not platitudes, not the big kind of stuff that we think about gratitude, but what happened today that I'm grateful for? And I quickly realized I couldn't write 10. This was impossible. So I cut it down to five. And I would write five words. <laughs> so they weren't even whole thoughts. They weren't, you know, anything that anybody else would have made any sense out of. It was just like, okay. And I, I can't remember what they were at the moment. I have them all in my journal, my gratitude journal, but, but I would write those five words and that went on for a few days. And then pretty soon I felt myself kind of open up a little bit. And those words became, or they became phrases, not still not whole sentences, but a phrase instead of just one word. And then after a few days, those phrases became sentences. And then those sentences became paragraphs and those paragraphs became pages that I was writing every night from five words to pages on each one. And it, it was the most transformational thing for me to move me past that place where you're stuck in the grief, you know, and, and you have to get past that. Now, you know, you said a lot of people may not have experienced it. I always kind of thought because I've lost a lot of people in my life, I have, you know, and both my parents are gone. My parents were both married multiple times. Only one of those spouses is still alive. Um, you know, I've not lost any siblings, um, but I've lost a lot of people in my life. And so I kind of thought that I knew what it was like for somebody to lose their spouse. But you don't until you go through it. And that's one of the key things in the book is how to mourn with those who mourn. We don't understand what they're going through. And so the book is a guide from people who are going through it. So I belong to a group on Facebook that's about, I think we're about 5,000 members or more now of widows and widowers who are members of my church, but have come together as a group of widows and widowers to support one another. So when I started to write the book, I reached out to them and said, who would like to be interviewed for this? Who'd like to share their story? Who would like to to participate in this. And I had about 70 folks who said, yeah, I want to. And I started doing interviews, but every time there's this thing called um, widow's fog. When you, when you first lose your mate, you kind of go into this widow's fog and it's literally, literally like your head is in a fog and you can't think your way out of it. You can't seem to brush it away. Right. The further I got into the gratitude journal, the more that fog would clear. Um, but in the beginning, you're in this fog. And so 
I had, by the time I started the book, I'd kind of moved out of most of that fog. But what I found was every person I interviewed put me right back into the fog <laughs> because being so closely connected with them and their grief process and asking them those questions stuck me right back in my grief. So I interviewed a few people one-on-one -on -one, and then I quickly realized I needed to do something else, both from a time perspective because I kept feeling this push, get this done, get this done, get this done. And, and then from the perspective of constantly going in and out of that fog. And so I um, set up a process online where people could go in and answer the questions online. And then I could take all of that and compile it. So the book itself is a lot of a compilation of some of the key answers from those people and some of the most common answers of not only, you know, what can you do to mourn with me? But what can you do to prepare for grief? Because we're all going to experience it, right? And if we can somehow understand what that looks like and recognize it and kind of prepare for it and have a way to move through it faster, then I think that's really valuable. Yeah, I think that is because um, like sometimes we don't know what to say to people when they lost someone they love. And usually when... We want to say something, but we don't want to hurt their feelings or we don't want to make them upset. And like, but really when someone who's grieving, like we want them to say something, we yeah. want them to reach out and ask them. So do you felt that that was, that is kind of like a missing link when someone's grieving, like someone on the other side that may, may or may not understand, but they're afraid to ask that question or some question or to even bring it up in conversation right. because they are afraid to, you know, upset someone or make some, make someone cry um, because we all don't like to make people cry. Yeah. And yeah. So do you think like, I, I totally do. I remember one day sitting in my Bishop's office, and he asked me how I was doing and I started to cry and he said, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have asked you that. And I said, yes, you should. I need you to ask me that. It doesn't matter if I cry. I need you to ask. <laughs> and so, yeah, there's this, especially when it's a partner that you've lost, there's a sense of isolation because now, you know, maybe you've done things as couples in the past and you've gotten together with a group of couples. Well, now you're odd man out and, you know, they're uncomfortable, so they don't invite. Um, they're uncomfortable talking to you, so they don't talk. They're uncomfortable talking about your mate that's passed because they don't want to upset you. But you need them to talk about your mate. He's real. He or she is real. And, and they were there in a part of your life, as in my case, 44 years. <laughs> you know, you don't, they're not gone. They didn't not exist just because they passed away. Their existence didn't stop and it, and it doesn't wipe out everything. And so, yeah, there's, I think it is a kind of a missing link that, that I remember asking somebody at church or having a conversation with someone at church with one of the sisters. And I commented that it seemed there was this discomfort from the other sisters to talk to me or to talk to me about it. And she said, well, you remind us that this can happen to us. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, definitely a big missing link. Yes, I, I definitely agree there because um, like my listeners, 
Um, well, those of you that aren't new, that are new to the show, um, when I was 16, my father passed away very unexpectedly. And then eight years later, my se- my stepfather died. And, you know, a lot of people, especially when I was 16, when my father passed away, a lot of people were afraid to, you know, ask, you know, or talk about their dad because they yeah. didn't want to upset me. But exactly. I said, but I said, you can still talk about your dad. Like, and maybe I will cry because there's sometimes, you know, I was a little girl. I was a child when I think about it. But it's like, don't feel like you can't express yourself or to show your concern because you're worried right. about me. But that's what I need from you. I want you to be able to be comfortable around me to talk about it. Because right. then it's more of like, well, you, you're you're afraid to talk about it because you're not comfortable with me. Or it's something that I'm doing. Right. So I got a lot of that when I was a child, like when I was a teenager. Um, and then it kind of like faded out. Well, when my stepfather died, it was a little bit different because a lot of people were like, oh, another one? <laughs> like again? <laughs> like <laughs> not to be a joke or anything, but it's like, you know, you lost one dad and then another dad. It's like, okay, like what's going on here? So yeah, I did get a lot of that too. And I think like those that are listening, like they, they know that whether they have, you know, lost someone they love or they have a friend that is going through something or a partner or whatever, right? that there's somewhere along the lines where you were afraid to ask someone or mention about that person or if you will, and they wouldn't because they're afraid to hurt people's feelings. But I think what happens is that creates um, not asking and not speaking at all creates a distance and a disconnect when asking creates connection and it creates them more stronger bond to actually talk about it and express that. So yes, yes. There's another element of that too. And if, if you're a person who likes to hug a lot and you lose that spouse, you're now hug deprived. And we know that hugs actually create health, right? I mean, that they're a part of being a healthy person and they're good for your mental status as well as your physical status. And, you know, there's a lot behind that. And so now you suddenly find yourself hug deprived. You'd give anything to have another hug. And so, yes. yeah, people who are sensitive to that will offer a hug. You know, and so I remember one lady in particular, I ran into her at Walmart and she made sure I had a hug before we left. And that meant so much to me. Yeah. And I I think like just human connection in general and just showing concern, it just, it moves so far than not saying anything at all. Um, It it really does. So yeah, this, yeah, this is for sure. So, like, what is, I'm wondering, what is one advice that you would give someone who, who has a friend or knows someone that is grieving? What would you say to that person who is the friend of someone who has lost someone? Like, what, let, like how do we speak to that person? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's not as much speaking as it is listening. Be there for them. Go where they are, be there for them, offer hugs if that's, you know, if they're a person who hugs, some people are not, um, and let them talk. 
and then you'll know what to say as you let them talk and you feel what's coming out. But yeah, it's, it's sometimes they just need someone to talk to. They need to be able to spill what's in their heart and what's, you know, what's concerning them. And, and just to be able to share that with someone who's not going to pass judgment, who's not going to tell them what they need to do, but who's going to give them a, a forum, if you will, for expressing what's on their heart, expressing their pain, expressing their concerns. And sometimes it's just a matter of being there. Um, you don't have to have all the answers because nobody has all the answers. So it's not like you have to fill in all the answers for them because you can't. They're going to have to find their way through this fog and this path. Um, but you can be there and support them, you know, and don't, don't ask them, what can I do for you? Because they don't know. <laughs> Offer to do, you know, if there's someone who has children, let me take your kids for, you know, for a night. Let me have them come over to my house for a sleepover. You know, take food in. Go and mow their lawn, if it, you know, especially if it's a, a widow and, you know, and her husband took care of all the yard work. Go and do that. Just just show up and do it. Don't ask if you can. Just show up and do it. You know? <laughs> and they'll let you know if that's not what they want. But for the most part, it's, it's usually, in my experience, it's been very much appreciated when people just show up and help you. When you can kind of put yourself, and that's why the book... You know, how to understand and prepare for. That's why that subtitle uh, is when we understand more of what they're going through, we can tailor our response to fit their needs. But it's a huge, you know, when you read the book, there's a huge gap between the mourner and the person who wants to support them. And I gave you a copy of the the books, so the books so far, and you notice some of those comments that, that were in there were so insensitive. Um, you know, I remember one lady t saying that at her daughter's funeral, somebody in the line said, "Oh well, at least now you don't have to buy braces for them." I mean, that's just one of the most insensitive comments I can even think of. You know, what parent wouldn't want to have the daughter with braces? No daughter. <laughs> so. Learning how to to support is it's just huge in helping that person get through it faster. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that because like maybe you on your journey as well as my journey, like you may have lost a lot of people in the process of losing your husband. For example, maybe you and your friends or acquaintances have drifted apart because of it because you were, you know, grieving and stuff and, you know, and it, it really is, there is a disconnect. And I'm glad we're having this conversation because I think this conversation could be valuable to not only the griever, the person who lost someone, but also the other person on the other side, the friend, right. the aunt, the mom, who is trying to support the other person. Because yeah. what we need is we need, the thing is we need, human connection. It's not a want. It's a need. It's a need. And when that yeah. need is not met, like we cannot, it's really hard to go on and to actually feel and to heal whatever we're going through. And so I'm so happy that we're having this conversation because there's a lot of people that need to hear it because, you know, 
no matter where you are in your life or who you lost, you, everyone who is listening has either lost someone that they love or they know someone who has lost someone and they don't know what to say. And so right. it's right. just, it's so valuable for everyone to like listen to this because, you know, it applies to all factors. So, no, one of, Emily, if I can, one of the questions, see, I had a set interview that I asked everybody. And so a couple of the questions were one, what, what was it that people said that really wasn't helpful at all kind of a thing? And what were the things that were most helpful or what would you have liked them to have said? That kind of a thing. So you're getting that point of view from that person who's in that grieving process of what would have been helpful. So it's really, you know, it's not theory. This is people who, are, who have experienced it. And, and so that's one of the aspects that I really like about the book. And, and that interview process that we went through to get the book <laughs> is that it's coming from those who are ex who have experienced this. And everybody's journey is different. There's no one size fits all when it comes to a grief journey. We're all on our own path. Uh, grief is one of those things that, you know, I mean, I can recall the other day. I mean, most of the time I can talk about my husband without crying. Not today. Um, and that's, that's key. There are moments, right? There are days. The other day I was unpacking a box of some things and there was a picture of he and I having dinner probably within the last year or so before he passed away. And we were at a restaurant at this nice restaurant in Dallas having dinner, celebrating either an anniversary or a birthday. And I looked at that picture and I just burst into the journey up and down and it's going to be with you the rest of your life as that mourner. It's, you know, a lot of folks in this world call it the new normal, <laughs> but we can take steps to improve the new normal. We don't have to live in the fog. We can take steps as the mourner to improve our life, to get involved, to, to force ourselves out of our comfort zone that keeps us locked into that fog prison. And so there are things that we can do to make sure that, that we get out of the fog as fast as we can because the fog is crippling. I, I literally, I don't know if I've told you this before, but I knew, I mean, I had a lot going on. I had my bed and breakfast. My husband and I were buying a home next door to us to make into a lake house uh, rental when he passed. Uh, so I was continuing on with that. And I had my bed and breakfast that I was running. And then I was learning how to be a business coach. And I had so much going on. And I knew that I couldn't keep track of it all. And I knew that if I put it on a calendar on my computer, I wouldn't look at it. I knew if I had it in a paper planner, I would forget to look at it. So I took these big sheets, you know, these big like three by four sheets or whatever they are of uh, sticky pads that you use in conferences. And I wallpapered my bedroom wall with those. <laughs> I had about 11 of them up there at one time. And each one had a different area of my life and the steps that I needed to be doing in that. I kept those on my bedroom wall for months until my brain came back. Um, you know, and I would just tell people, this is my brain on the wall. <laughs> and ultimately, I got to the place where the fog lifted. I could feel happy again. I've always been a believer that happiness is a choice. But after he passed, I couldn't find it. I would look for it in my in my being and I couldn't find it. And then one day it finally came back and it was like, oh. Ah, oh, and one of the things for me is when I'm happy, I sing. 
without even knowing I'm doing it. It just erupts, you know, and then I'm like, oh, and I'll tell you probably off key too. But anyway, I'm like, I was walking through the house. I was like, wow, I'm singing. Okay, we're making progress. <laughs> but, you know, there are just things that while you're in the fog are going to be so difficult. And the faster you can get out of the fog, the easier your life is going to be because you just can't think there. And that said, you know, some folks stay there longer than others. And, you know, it just kind of depends on your drive and the choices you make and your support system. And there's a lot of factors that go into how quickly you get out of that fog. Yeah, I definitely like agree with that, that everyone's grief journey is so different. And it's just really a matter of just understanding the self and um, trying to teach others on to come along with your journey. Um, to support you, whether whatever that is and may be, because it's all different for everybody. And, um, you know, my grief journey looks a lot different than yours, and yours looks a lot different than the person that's listening. But that's your journey, and that's my journey. And whatever we need to do to feel somewhat normal again, because we're never going to be the same after, but to just be able to get through the day and to just be able to smile again and to just go about our day without feeling this like dark cloud over our head. It's it, it, there's no time limit limit on it. Like you said, and it's just a matter of, you know, really trying to understand yourself and, um, the griever and stuff. So yes, definitely. Thank you for that. So, Regina, when does your book come out? Oh, my goal was next month. I don't know if I'm going to make that or not yet, but my goal is to have it out by Christmas. So I'm still working on it. I've still got a little bit to write in it yet. And so it may be the first quarter of next year if I can't get it finished by Christmas. So I'm not quite sure, but I'll keep you posted. Can I go back to something you said about smiling, though, for a moment? I recall before the fog completely lifted, before I hit that, thought of finding the happiness in me again. I can remember standing in front of my mirror in the bathroom and practicing smiling because my facial muscles had forgotten how to smile. It just had been so long since I'd smile. And it's like, okay, I need to do this. And so I would stand there and just practice trying to smile. (laughs) You know, you just, you get in that place that it's, that's just not a part of who you are at that moment. Yeah. And I think like when we we make our body do something eventually like it then becomes a habit so it's kind of like you know a confidence thing or a mantra or affirmation or if you will whatever if you continue to do it you eventually believe it so that's good that you point that out that you know if we take that first step whatever it is to take right. that first step now it'll the gratitude the gratitude journal is another element of that. Taking that action of writing that gratitude journal, conditioning your mind to feel the gratitude transforms you. Oh, yes, for sure. Like if I would have looked back a couple of years ago and look back, there's some mornings. I don't know if you feel this way, but there's some mornings. Do you ever you wake up and you cry or you're upset because you're just so grateful and you know it took me 10 years to get to that place and you know 
but it's really like the most incredible feeling when you're now at that place where you're you are thankful that you are here and you are thankful for the coffee brewing and you're thankful for um that it's a sunny day or that you know the child that you're laughing or whatever it's just it right. gratitude is like the, i think a game changer in just not only perspective but i think it just helps you and it comforts you in a sense as well so yeah, yeah definitely yes I all right all right regina so to wrap this up where could people find you online and where could your book be okay. when it comes out okay so i haven't built the funnel for the book yet but it will be on amazon um you know my existing book uh on marriage is there and then this one will be there as well um and remember it's called um how to mourn with those who mourn um how to understand and prepare for grief and and i would just say it also has a co-author who's my current husband who is a poet and a photographer and so we're putting a lot of his poems relative to grief inside the book as well so oh, i be, love it i love that he's on your yeah. journey here too yes that's incredible yes. so um my um let's see best places to find me uh email is one i'm regina at bridgeportstrategy.com uh, my corporate phone number is 940-644-0081 and um on facebook i believe i'm still regina partain let me look <laughs> partain was my my name for 44 years let me just go to my homepage and see how that's listed. Yeah, Regina M. Partain on Facebook. Okay. Awesome. Well, I'm so glad that we were able to not only dive into your story and to talk about, you know, what exactly you needed and also your book to help others. Because I think it's so inspiring that like you're running this business and stuff, but you have this desire to help people who are grieving because, you know, you've been through it and you know what it's like and you want to help people and their families and stuff. So I think this is incredible. So Regina, uh, without further ado, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show. I think that it was so valuable that we had this conversation. And I think that your book and your message here on this episode is really going to help someone who's ever listening to that. So I just want to say thank you for your time. And I would be happy to give you the link to the book when I finally have it out there. <laughs> okay. Yes, so of course. Share it with your listeners. Yeah. All right. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I would love to hear from you and connect with you. If you are hanging out on Instagram, I want you to screenshot it, share it in your stories, and tag me at emily.a.walsh. And if you are hanging on on Facebook, you can join my Facebook group at www.facebook.com slash groups slash in search of her. If you would like to connect with me on a more personal level, feel free to send me a DM on either Facebook or Instagram, or you can email me at contact at emilyawalsh.com. I would love to hear from you and to continue the conversation, and I will see you in the next one.